to, to this vision of all in. We have to talk about what it means. We have to reiterate it to, our, to ourselves because over time, people tend to lose focus on, on what things mean and what things are, although I don't think any of that's happened yet here with All In. There's a great deal of excitement about this initiative, this adventure, this journey that we're all on. So if you'll take your Bibles in whatever form you have them and turn to Philippians chapter 3, I want to read a familiar passage and then I'm going to jump into this message and give you five things very quickly that are indicators of what an all-in life looks like. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul is sort of encapsulating his transformation and his pursuit of God in a brief passage here. And it's one of the more powerful statements of hunger for God that's in the Bible. Verse 7 begins, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Listen, listen to, the, to the absolute desperation in Paul's words here. I consider everything garbage that I may gain Christ. It sounds like he's made some serious decisions in his heart. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Listen to that. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, I ask profoundly that you would let me diminish and decrease and let you increase and become everything. Let these beautiful people not so much hear or see me, but let them hear and see you, your word, your truth. Let it be profound in its impact in our lives. And I pray that all of us today leave here transformed, different people than we came because of your word and your power. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. What does an all-in life look like? Number one, a person wise enough to understand what really matters in life. This is what an all-in life looks like. What really matters in life? What's important? What's really the significant issue in life? Now, we all are supposed to know the answers. The answers are that life is not about money. Life is not about fame. Life is not about the perceptions of success because all those things are temporary. So what's really important in life? How many of y'all have ever been to a funeral? I've preached many, many more than I wish I had. I've seen all kind of things happen at funerals. I came close one time to storming the pulpit at a funeral and 
just snatching the preacher down and saying, sit down there and shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. I came so close. I didn't do it because the family would probably have crucified me, but <laughs> preachers have urges too. You know, we have to control ourselves too. I've been at a lot of funerals. I've never seen a pile of money at the, at the foot of a casket. As you've all heard, we've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. What really matters in life? I hear all the time what really matters in life is your health and your family and, and love. Well, that's good. Health is important. Family is important. But I want to tell you something today, and I don't want to leave any equivocation on the matter. I want you to understand this with absolute pristine clarity. So listen to your pastor for a moment. The only thing in your life and mine that really, really, really matters is the day you stand before God to give account of yourself to Him. Everything else is a dress rehearsal for that moment. Everything else is window dressing compared to that moment. And when we stand before God, He is not going to ask you how many people attended your funeral. He is not going to ask you how tight your family was. He is not going to ask you how much money you made in your lifetime or how successful you were. He is not going to care how many people called you their friend or how many likes you had on social media. And those things mean nothing to God. He is not going to ask you how long you lived and if you took care of your body the right way. The only thing that's going to matter to God when you and I stand before Him is, was Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord? And did you do your best to live a life to please Him? That's all that really matters in this world. Everything else is underneath that. Let me say that to you again. Everything else is underneath that. I'm surprised at the Christians in our world today who have begun to accept this philosophy that all of this stuff we preach about may just be religious dogma and it might not really be real. A lot of Christians, I'll call them churchgoers, are starting to sort of adopt this secularized flavor of Christianity. They, they think, well, I'll go to church just in case, but I kind of don't believe. Let me tell you a story that happened to a friend of mine, Shirley Gould. Shirley had malaria from her missions work in Africa. And Shirley had blood clots. And Shirley had all kinds of physical problems. So Shirley went to the doctor. And I don't know why this happened to her. But Shirley actually died on the table. And for those of you who may wonder about life after death, let me just tell you what happened to Shirley. Shirley felt herself rise up out of her body. And she could see from the corner of the room, she could see everybody running around and trying to get her back, shocking her with the paddles and everything. Then she went out into the hallway in the spirit. And this is biblical. Paul said he was in the spirit on, on a certain time. And he went up to the third heaven. Shirley went out into the hallway and went down the hallway into the waiting room where some of her friends were having a conversation about her and about biblical things, and she heard what they said. And they were praying for her to live, not knowing that she was already dead. Well, suddenly she found herself going back to the room, and she found herself back in her body, and she came back to life. And she wanted to test this. Did I dream that? Was that just random neurons firing in my brain, or did I really go to the, to the, to the waiting room, which was way down the hall, 
No way she could have overheard her friends way down the hall. Did I really go there in my spirit? Did I really hear what they were saying? So when she got, she got recovered and her friends came in, she asked them, were you doing this in the, in the waiting room while I was back here? Did you, very specific, did you ask her this question? Did you say this in response? And her friends were like, how could you possibly know that? We're 50 yards away from the OR where you are. How could you possibly know what we said in the waiting room? And Shirley told them the story where she, we, she got up out of her body and went down, and then she went back. My point to that is there is life after death, guys. This is not some storybook fable we're talking about here. I want to tell you something today. There is a heaven. It is real. It is not a cloud you float on. You're never going to get a harp or wings or a halo. You're going to go there as a person who has a brand new spiritual body if you make it to heaven, and you're going to live in a real place built by God's real hands. It's going to be just as tangible as this pulpit right here. We're not talking about a fantasy or some mystical, fantastical place that exists in some weird dimension that we can't quite comprehend or understand. It's going to be very real to us at that time. The only way to get to heaven, the only way to get to heaven, the only way to get to heaven is not just to come to church, not just to be a spiritually minded person, not just to be a good person, good people. That doesn't get us into heaven. The only way, and I want you to hear this, hear it, hear it with all your heart. The only way to get to heaven is to repent of your sins, ask Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior and your Lord, accept him as such, and then live your life to the best of your ability to please God. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, and he is the only way, truth, and life. Go ahead, if you're going to clap, clap. Yeah, health is important. Yeah, family is important. Yeah, it's important to provide. But if we do everything we're supposed to do, and we hoo-ah life all we want, and we miss the one thing that really matters, everything else is lost. I challenge you today, I don't care who you are, if there's sin in your life, you know it right now, right where you sit. And I, in love, I urge you and encourage you that today's the day of your salvation. Don't you let another day go by that you let sin stay in your life. We're going to give you a chance at the end of this service to come and pray. And you know, a lot of churches don't even do that anymore. A lot of places, you don't even have an altar call or really a call for repentance. Everything's about encouragement and make me feel good. Hey, everybody loves encouragement, but I want encouragement to be legitimate. Amen? So an all-in life is a person who who's wise enough to understand what really matters in life. What matters is your relationship with Christ. What matters is our spiritual maturity, that we grow in that relationship. What matters is that we study the Word and that we pray. What matters is that we come to church so we can grow up in God. That's what really matters. And I could say a lot more, but I'm going to move on to the second thing. What does an all-in life look like? Someone's so hungry for God, they're determined to rearrange their entire life around Him. That's what an all-in life looks like. Let me ask you something. What is it you really, really want in life? What is it? You want seven figures in the bank so you can retire and live off the interest? Is that your driver? Retirement from a corporation where you can get your retirement check? Is that, 
Is that your driver? Financial security, is that what you're about? Nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with having seven figures in the bank living off interest. It's not a sin. Nothing wrong working for a great company and retiring after 20, 30, 40 years. Nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I am saying is, what's the thing that pushes your buttons? What's the thing that drives you? What is it? What's the thing in life you want more than anything else? What is it? Listen, you cannot live your life just going through the motions. You can't live your life just playing the game of life and and just doing what everybody does. Do you love God? Are you so hungry for God that you're determined to rearrange your entire life around seeking Him? Let me see what the Bible says about this. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then everything you need to be added unto you. The people in in the Word of God, the great heroes of the faith, whatever God told them to do, they just did. They offered sacrifices. God came to Abraham and said, I know I promised you a son, and that through that son you would have offspring like the sands of the sea, but now that you've got that son named Isaac, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Abraham didn't argue with God. Abraham went and got a knife, he got fire, he got wood, and he got Isaac. And he took off of the mountains, built an altar, bound his son, laid him on top of it, and drew the knife back to take his life. And the angel said, stop. Abraham was so hungry for God, he was willing to do whatever God said to find God's face. Pastor Josh used a phrase in his comments today, chasing after God. The Bible says that God is near us. But I'm going to tell you, we've got to break through the fog of this life, and we've got to do a little bit of chasing. We've got to do a seek, a knock, an ask. Jesus said, ask, and it'll what? Seek and what? Knock and what? The door will be open. Jeremiah 29 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. Is there, is there a hunger in, in your life for God so profound that you're determined to rearrange your entire life around him? Are you so hungry for God that you're willing to get up earlier in the morning to pray and seek His face? I don't mean five minutes earlier. And then hit the snooze button twice. I set my alarm, Lord, but it's faith. Are you hungry enough for God to forgive every offense every Christian has ever done to you? Are you hungry enough for God to get over past wounds and forgive the church, forgive the preachers, forgive the Christians, and get after God with no hard feelings in your heart? Are you hungry enough for God to decide to put Him first in your life and forgive every human being who's ever hurt you in your life? Are you hungry enough for God? I want to know how hungry you are for God. Are you hungry enough for God to rearrange your schedule to rearrange your financial priorities instead of doing what you always do for one year in your life if you rearranged all your finances and all your calendar and the the number one priority was I'm going to seek him with all my heart until I find him. I wonder what God could do in your life if you were to go there. I don't remember the movie. I don't know what it was. I just remember the trailer I saw. I didn't watch the movie. I never saw it. But in the trailer, there was a guy 
like a homeless guy playing, I think, a cello. You probably know the movie. And somebody made the comment about how he just, he just played love the music he was playing. And somebody made the comment, I have never loved anything in my life that much. I wonder what would happen if all of us decided we were going to fall in love with God at a level of intensity we never even imagined could exist. I wonder what, ha- what would happen to us in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in our bodies, in our spirits, if we were to decide, you know what? Those Old Testament people like Moses, who God called his friend, imagine that, God Almighty calling Moses his friend. That's powerful stuff. What if you decided, I want to be closer to God than that? I want to be closer to God than Elijah, who God covered with his hand when he passed by in the cleft of the rock and protected him so Elijah wouldn't die from the power of God. I want to be closer than than Enoch, who walked with God and God took him off the earth. I want to be one of the closest people to God who's ever walked on the earth. And when all the false religions are moving forward, and when all the lies and deception are being preached in the world, and when so many Christians aren't really living it, I want to be the one person that God can look down from heaven and say, Look, Gabriel, there's one who's seeking me with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. Don't you want to be so hungry for God that you're going to be that kind of person? Go on and praise him if you're going to do it. That, my friends, is what an all-in life looks like. Somebody who takes every day and looks at it. First thing in the morning, you don't get up and start mumbling and complaining and grumbling about what you got to do. You get up every day and your first thought is, Father, what glorious thing are you going to do in my life today? What incredible adventure are me and you going to have today? Instead of thinking, man, I got to go back to that job I hate, through that traffic I hate, not shoot somebody through the window of my car. I got to go back to those people I don't like. I got to go do all this stuff. And and we, we start our days off with this toxic thinking. What if we got up every morning and started our day off with prayer? Yeah, have your coffee. Yeah, make your bagel or toast or scrambled eggs or bacon or whatever you put in your body. Do what you want. But start your day off in the presence of God somehow, somewhere, sometime. And if you if you got to get up an hour earlier, so be it. You're willing to do it. I'm not saying that's the measure. You might not have to get up but a half an hour earlier. But it doesn't do you any good to set the alarm clock 30 minutes early and hit the snooze button three times. That's nine times three is 27. You blew it. But one for the Father, one snooze for the Son, and one snooze for the Holy Ghost. No. No, this news trinity, no. What if you decided, what if you decided today? I'm serious. What if everybody in here decided, you know what? The whole world, I'm just going to say it. Uh, Y'all don't be offended. I'm just going to say it like this. The whole world can go to hell if they want to. Me and my house and I am going to seek the face of God like I never have before. I don't care what my friends say. You've got to grow past the point that you care what your friends think about you if you want to do this. You've got to get past the point where you care what the men on the jobs. I've always been amazed. I used to work on a freight dock in a trucking company. You want to talk about rough men. I mean, on the break room table, it was nothing for somebody to come in with some horribly pornographic magazine and throw it down. I'd pick it right up. And a lot of these guys were bigger than me. I'd pick it right up and throw it in the trash can. I paid $5 for that. I said, you're a mistake. Don't put that in front of me. Go look at that somewhere else, you know. And I know that might not have been the wisest thing to do. I was 21, 22 years old and stupid. 
but I could also bench press your car so they didn't mess with me. (laughs) An advantage to that. God probably helped me. And it was terrible language except when they came around me. And I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. But, but what if we all got to the place where we were not concerned about people's opinions? We don't care if they think we're cool or crazy. We don't, and I'm not talking about going to Longhorn for lunch today, hopping up on the table and delivering a prophecy. I'm not talking about that. Slinging oil on the guests. No, don't do that. But I am talking about in a, in a, in a prudent way, in a, in a wise way, in a biblically sound way, in a way that endears people to us, being fearless at work for Jesus Christ, being fearless at school for the Lord Jesus Christ, getting to the place where people's opinions are no longer drivers in our lives. But seeking and pursuing after God is the pulse beat of our life. I wonder what God could do with somebody like that. Dwight L. Moody said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is totally committed to him. And then he said, may God help me to be that man. Next, an all-in lifestyle is a person who eagerly looks for ways to personally empower the church financially. I've been your pastor for 21 years, next couple of weeks. And in the history of those years, we have probably talked less about money than any church in the country. We've probably talked about money so little that it probably hurt us at times. And we decided intentionally to include finances and giving in this all-in. Because you know how the FBI tracks down criminals? You know how Interpol tracks down criminals? You know how the CIA tracks down terrorists? They use a lot of ways, but in every one of their matrices where they're patterning or uh, profiling anybody who's a criminal, they always, three words, follow the money. Our checkbooks, our electronic devices, whatever form we use, our bank accounts, tell a lot about our priorities. They do. And I know... I know that there are people in this church who have given sacrificially. Somebody told me just a few weeks back that at a, at a time, many, a couple of years back when our church was really hurting financially, they were taking chunks of money out of their 401K and giving it to this church. Man, I pray God's blessing on that person to the, to the extent that they never have to worry about finances again. That's a heart to bless the church financially. And to do it to the point of personal sacrifice. I, I didn't make a big scene about it. but It, was, it was, wasn't an opportunity to do it. But that blew my mind when they told me that. I, I just sat there. I'm thinking, you know, you might, be, you might be a Christian. It was a glorious moment. I'm not asking you to cash in your 401k or sell your house. I'm asking you to put God at the forefront of our considerations when it comes to money. Put God up there. The Bible says, give and it will be what? Given unto you. And I tell you what, I'm sick of these people saying, well, I don't give to get. I know what you mean by that. But we, we, we tie the hands of God, I think, unwittingly sometimes to bless us. How many of you intend to plant a garden this spring? Raise your hand. I intend to plant a garden. More power to you. 
How many of, of you, when, when you plant that garden, you expect to go out there and harvest some squash, cucumbers, tomatoes, peppers, all the things that grow in Georgia? How many of you expect to harvest? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What's different about God's Word? He's the one that made the deal. Hey, God's the one that made the promise. Give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I have to, I have to confess. I got a confession to make. All my preaching career, 30, 38, 39 years of preaching, I have always complained about cereal. I've always said, man, God's not no cereal box giver. You go buy cereal, you get this gigantor cardboard box of cereal, you open it up, and there's about this much in the bottom of a giant size. And then on the lid, I guess they think it's going to make us feel better because it says some settling may occur during shipment. Some... I bought a box of cereal the other day. I started to buy two to bring it here and show you. That sucker was full to the top. I almost passed out and had a seizure in the grocery store. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I mashed it. I, I, this guy walked beside me, looked at me. I was feeling the cereal. I started to go, feel this, man. But I thought, no, he might. We get this idea that God... That, that we're supposed to give, 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 but it's, and that's biblical, but somehow when the, when the part of the Bible's promise that says give and it shall be given unto you, when that comes along, we like, we're like the old buzzard on the cartoons years ago. Oh, no, 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 no. Why won't we believe God for the good stuff? What if you fell in love with God so much you put Him first in your money? What if you looked for ways to carve out money, to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Next, someone who is fearless in sharing what Jesus has done in their lives. I mean fearless. When is the last time, just as a question, not a condemnation, just a question, when's the last time at your workplace, at the gym, at the grocery store, at the neighborhood? When's the last time you planted a seed for Jesus Christ? When's the last time? Don't answer, but when's the last time? You know one of my favorite little things I like to do? I like to get waiters and waitresses. It's risky because I might offend them. We'll be sitting there at a, at a restaurant and waitress gets, gets our, I'm sorry, I guess uh, nutritional server is more appropriate. <clears throat> anyway, she brings our drinks, and then if we order an appetizer, if Pastor Don and I fall off the wagon and order an appetizer, then she brings that. And before we eat it, I'll, a lot of times I'll say, hey, come right here. And then and, and they look at you like weird, and you touch them on the hand, and they, they look at you like, and then you just say, bow your head real quick. And they bow their head, and I say, okay. Father, in Jesus' name, boom, I got them. I just say the blessing right there. And I, I pray over them. I say, Lord, I pray you draw our waitress into a closer walk with you than ever before. Sometimes you can feel them go, whew, you know. You never know. But sometimes it can be life-changing. I was in Dublin, Georgia, a little town right outside Macon, thriving metropolis of 28 people. Anyway, <laughs> I'd gone down to hunt Beaver Dam WMA for wild pigs. And, in fact, I killed one. Waitress came to the table. A friend of mine were, and I were sitting there at the table. 
And that was back when I ate anything I wanted, so I'm sure I had ordered some delicious food. <laughs> Probably something fried and gravy, you know. So I was really thankful. <laughs> so, waitress came to the table, and the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me. And you don't want to do this every time. You want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I, say the, I said the, the blessing, and, and then she was standing there, and I, I just kind of felt prompted. So I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. Bright, happy, cheery, little short black hair, cute as a button. I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, where are you going to be five million years from now? Her eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger. I thought they were just going to go bloop, pick an ease, you know. And she just started crying. Knelt down at the side of the table and began to talk and share about all the hell that had broken loose in her life. Right there at that table side, my friend and I led that waitress to Jesus Christ right there in the middle of the restaurant. Now, we didn't get up and sling oil on everybody and speak in tongues and shout prophetic utterances. But we had prayer with her, and she changed her life in that moment because of a question. Where are you going to be five million years from now? Going duck hunting in Louisiana. No, 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 I'm sorry, Mississippi. This man had a, <clears throat> had a private little, little duck hole that he it just ducks everywhere. And so he invited us to go down there and stay in this lodge that to the rest of us would be a, a small mansion. Very wealthy individual. So we hunted ducks, and we had fun, and we got ready to go, and there was a whole group of Cajuns that were coming in to duck hunt. And these Cajuns can be kind of rough people, you know. So the house had this, had this little place up the front of it, you know, and there were, there were about 50 people, I guess, in, in, this, in this little cabin, maybe, maybe from 35, if I didn't count, from 30 to 50, somewhere in there. The place was full of people, and everybody's kind of partying and, and noisy, and the, the, one of the guys up there was... I was telling bye to us because we were leaving. He said, his name was Sammy. He said, bye, preacher. I said, bye, Sammy. And told my other friends, bye, you know. And I said, hey, Sammy, can I ask you a question? And the whole room kind of got quiet because I said it loud, you know. He said, anything for you, preacher, ask me. And I said, Sammy, where are you going to be five million years from now? I kid you not, like Fred Sanford, he grabbed his heart. He said, oh, preacher, you could ask me anything but that. Nobody laughed, nobody mocked, nobody said anything. It was just quiet. I said, I'm going to pray for you, Sammy. Make some good decisions, my friend. We'll see you. Okay. And we left. But I planted a seed, not only, and I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. I'm the only one I know about who can tell these stories about the stuff I've done because I don't know what you might have done. I'd love to hear some of your stories about fearless witnessing. We've got to get to the place, and I, it's not always the time to do this. It's not always the right moment, but there are moments when it is right, and you can make a difference in people's lives. What if we all decided, you know what, I'm going all in. I know the world's got a million distractions for me. I know there's screens everywhere I look with all kinds of options for scrolling on those screens, but I'm going to shut that stuff down a little bit. I'm going to focus more on my walk with God because it's the only thing in life that matters, and I can only take one thing to heaven with me. You know, you get to take one thing to heaven with you? Did you know that? I can prove it from the Bible. You get to take one thing from heaven to heaven with you from the earth. One. But there's only one thing you can take. The people you win to Jesus. That's it. How many of us have family members that aren't Christians? How many of us know people that need Jesus? How many of us work with people, go to school with people, go to the supermarket, go to the gym, hunt, fish, golf with people who need Jesus? 
I'm not trying to get you to make a fool out of yourself or to be unwise or to in some way bring reproach upon the kingdom of God. But I am saying when the moment is right and when the Spirit prompts, and sometimes it just has to be stuff you know in your own head. What if, what if you and I decided I am going to be fearless in sharing what Jesus has done in my life? How many of you, I want you to raise your hand, how many of you have a story of God doing something incredible in your life that you could tell people that you know would impact their lives? Raise your hand. See, the vast majority of us. Share that story. Talk about what God has done in your life. It will impact people. When you die and they put a tombstone at the head of your grave, what are they going to write on it? What's going to be the words? What's going to be the epitaph of your life? He was a good daddy. He was a hard worker. She was a great mom. Boy, could she cook chicken. What's it going to say? Let it say, this person went after God with all their might. What a powerful statement. Last is this one. And Kelly, if you'll come play. Guys, if you'll come. An all-in life is a Christian who is about to see God blow the doors off their life. If you go all-in for God like I'm talking about today, stop having doubts. Many of you here right now, you, you've been the victims of the last few years of inept administration in our country. I'm just going to say it like that. Financially speaking, a lot of our industries and stores have suffered. Many are closed. Many people are taking cuts in pay. And I'm not going to get into politics but it takes time for new policies to go into effect to change things. Some of you are hurting financially. Stop being afraid of the future. What if you decided to be at peace in your heart because you trusted the Lord God with all your soul, all your heart, all your might, all your strength? What if you decided to trust God at a level you never have before in your life? What if you decided to really step out in faith? What if you decided, I'm going to do what God said. I don't care what happens. And if I don't see results right away, I'm going to be like Job who said, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Man, you talk about somebody who had this thing figured out. Job had it figured out. Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. He said, I know that hardship and persecution are facing me there, but I'm going anyway. Paul said, I'm going to Rome, and I know that I will never see any of you again, but I'm going anyway. Paul didn't demand of God that things turn out the way he wanted to. Paul just wanted to serve the Lord, whatever that meant. Now, that's going all in. But I'm going to tell you, when you get that dedicated to God, when you get committed to God at that level of intensity and passion and decision-making, you better watch out because God is getting ready to blow the doors off your life. He's going to bring blessing into your life like you cannot imagine. Imagine this. Just imagine if you walked with God's complete favor in everything you did. You can't buy that. You can't manipulate it. You can't coerce it. You can't do anything to elicit the favor of God. It's all because of relationship. What if you got so on fire for God that God decided you were going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field, blessed when you came in, blessed when you go out, that he would give you favor with men and institutions. I'm telling you, it's all wrapped up in the nexus of relationship. You get all in for God like I'm talking about today, 
you get ready because God's going to knock your socks off. You're going to feel His presence. You're going to wake up every morning and you're going to think, man, I'm, I'm not tense and irritated this morning. You're going to have somebody bite your head off at work or start a rumor about you and you're going to feel this strange sense of peace come over your heart. You're not going to be angry about it. Somebody's going to cut you off in traffic and you're going to go, you be blessed. You're going to think about people that hurt you in the past and instead of getting mad and reliving it, you're going to feel compassion rise up in your heart and you're going to find yourself praying for the people who've hurt you most. I'll tell you what's stopping you. A lot of times what's stopping us from ministry and from effectiveness and really being used of God is simply scar tissue. And it will keep you where you are just as long as you decide to let it. It's a form of fear. Burn me once, burn me twice, that's it, I'm done, you're never going to hurt me again. That is selfishness, it is self-preservation, and it is not the Spirit of Christ. It may keep you safe from being hurt, but it's not going to make you effective and productive in the kingdom of God. I'm talking about grown-up hard stuff. It is hard to re-engage when you've been shafted so bad, nobody else could even understand it but you. But I'm going to tell you, the devil is not playing fair. He'll use anything he can. If he can't get you in reverse going toward hell, he can at least shift you into neutral and park you on the emergency lane where you're not doing anything for anybody. Today, what if you decided, you know what, I've been parked over here on the sidelines, disengaged, uninvolved, and justifying it to myself long enough. It is time and high time for me to thrust myself again. Yes, there's risk. Yes, I may get wounded again. Absolutely. But Jesus came knowing what was going to happen to him, and he did it anyway. You know why? Because he was all in to his Father's commands. That's why. Jesus came knowing that unworthy people were going to torture the spotless Lamb of God to death. And he did it anyway. You know why? He was all in with his Father's will. We've got to love what God is doing more than we love our own safety and self-preservation. We've got to love God more than we love the, the comfort zone we've eased ourselves into. We've got to love God and His purpose and His plan more than we love our own lives. And if you get there, that, now that is a hooah all-in life. And God is going to bless you in ways I don't even understand yet. He's going to bless you in ways you haven't even imagined yet. What does Ephesians 3.20 say about that? Now unto him who is able. We hear these verses, and after 25 years, they kind of bounce off us like water off a duck's back. We hear this over and over and over. We forget what it means. We get jaded to it. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now that is powerful medicine. That's the God we serve. That's exactly how God wants to move in your life. I dare you. I dare you today to go all in for God. I dare you. I challenge you to go, to go home. I'm not asking you to come down here and burn a piece of paper or, or do some symbolic thing. I'm not going to give you some little trinket to remember this service. I want this to resonate down in your spirit and challenge you in the very core of your being. I want you to, it's all you can think about for the next two weeks is going all in and what it could really mean in your life. You could finally be healed in your heart. You could finally forgive. You could finally be restored. 
Your marriage could become what it was always meant to be. You could actually find yourself walking in financial abundance. You could be at peace when you lay your head on your pillow because you've done your best to live uprightly before the Lord. You could break the chains of habits and cycles that have bound you for years. You could conquer the thought processes that have kept you subjugated for years. You could overcome habits that have dominated and controlled you. You could get past how you were raised as a child and the painful things that may have happened to you. You could get over the loss that you've encountered that that has devastated your life. You could come to the place where you could hope again and dream again and believe again and live again and strive for something bigger than yourself again. That can be you. I'm talking about a life of passion, a life of surrender, a life of determined seeking and hungering after God. I'm going to close with this. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and I think one of the most powerful things he said in the whole sermon, he said in the first opening lines in a group of statements he made called the Beatitudes. And here's what it is. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. I want you to, every person here, stand to your feet. And if you can, if you can physically do it, get out into an aisle and come, let's gather around the front as we close in prayer.